so much began to make sense, and I felt affirmed enough to begin to gently and safely touch into my own embodied pain that I was able to begin befriending my body sensations because I finally understood that it was okay that my body responded in such ways. Welcome to the Safe Enough Podcast. This podcast is an exploration of what it means to feel safe enough in order to live the kind of life or make the kind of changes that transform our lives into those with all of the love, connection, belonging, and purpose that we seek and strive for. My name is McPherson Warbeck, founder of the It Begins to Move studio. I'm a safety and self-worth recovery partner, and I'm so glad that you're here. This is the third of a three-episode series about different ways to gently connect with your body so that you can cultivate an embodied sense of safety as the foundation for work on cultivating a deep down knowing of your inherent value and worth. The first episode talked about how a certain kind of movement can be a great tool. Um, The previous episode talked about how journaling can be a great tool. And this episode will talk about how reading can be a great tool for gently connecting with your body to create a felt sense of safety. My absolute favorite quote about safety is from um, trauma and addiction physician Gabor Mate. Mate says that, quote, safety is not the absence of threat, it is the presence of connection, end quote. If you've listened to previous episodes um, of my podcast, you've probably heard me use use this quote before. Every time I read this quote, I feel so many things. I feel um, it's so powerful. I feel incredibly validated. So validated because as someone who had a whole lot of fear in my daily moment-to-moment experience of life, this quote validated the confusion that I felt around still feeling incredibly afraid and unsafe, even when I was told there wasn't an overt threat in my environment. I didn't have an overt threat sometimes, but I also didn't have connection. I didn't have the deep connection that I needed with others, but I also didn't have the deep connection I needed with myself and with my body and my intuition and my nervous system. So safety is actually the presence of connection. And this correlates so well with the polyvagal theory, with the neurobiology of safety, with trauma theory and interpersonal neurobiology. Let's break those down a bit one by one. So the polyvagal theory says that your nervous system will automatically initiate self-protective actions and behaviors when it feels that you're in danger. This danger can be physical or it can be emotional. There's there's no difference between uh, those two kinds. At least there's no difference to your nervous system. Um, They're both scary and your nervous system is designed to protect you from both. However, the polyvagal theory also demonstrates that your nervous system's self-protection will turn off when you're feeling safe. And part of what indicates that feeling of safety to your nervous system is the feeling of being connected. If you don't feel safely connected, your nervous system might not actually feel safe even if you're not being chased by a bear or you're not actively experiencing gaslighting. 
And therefore, the experience of connection needs to be consistently created in order to feel safe. This is also the most critical part of healing from trauma or building resilience from adversity. And all of us experience adversity. And really, all of us as as humans experience trauma. You may have heard someone um, use the distinction between like big T and little t trauma or trauma with a capital T and trauma with a lowercase t um, to distinguish between trauma that is like horrific and extreme versus the natural difficulties in life that we all face like sadness when a relationship ends or a decision is made that leaves us out or when a colleague acts in a sort of an unkind way. I actually think it's more helpful to distinguish between levels of stress. There's the mild but real kind of stress of driving through traffic or meeting a deadline or getting your kids to school on time. This is true and legitimate stress as these experiences activate your nervous system's stress response. And then there's extreme stress. Trauma neuropsychiatric researcher Bessel van der Kolk and many of his colleagues have done an incredible job of distinguishing between regular or mild stress and extreme stress, where both activate your natural embodied stress responses. Extreme stress is overwhelming stress. It overwhelms your nervous system. And this kind of stress is the basis for trauma. With regular, everyday mild stress, you can still function normally. It doesn't become problematic in your life. It doesn't change the way that you live. And you don't question your value and your worth afterwards. The experience of extreme stress is different. It can create changes in your mind and your brain, changes in, uh, in cognitive concepts, in changes in beliefs and behavior. This kind of stress needs tending to afterwards, even if it's just momentary. So I just want to highlight that big and little t trauma are both forms of extreme stress in this way. They both need tending to afterwards, even though little t trauma can be considered a less extreme form of extreme stress and big t trauma a more extreme form of extreme stress. An example of big t extreme stress would be experiencing war, uh, political or physical violence, systemic oppression, or being brought up by a physically or emotionally abusive caretaker. Trauma psychiatrist Judith Herman's incredibly powerful book, um, and even just the title of her book, Trauma and Recovery, The the Aftermath of, of Violence from Domestic Abuse to Political Terror, reflects this kind of big T extreme stress trauma vividly. However, there's another kind of extreme stress that can be easily overshadowed, but it is just as important. I think that many people fall into this category of having experienced the less extreme form of extreme stress or little t trauma. And what stinks most about this kind of experience is that it is so easy to skip over the fact that it needs unwinding and tending to. This kind of pernicious trauma needs healing too. My absolute 
favorite definition of trauma is from Bessel van der Kolk when he was interviewed for a super high quality documentary about Daryl, the comedian Daryl Hammond's journey to healing from extreme stress and complex trauma that he experienced during his childhood. So in the documentary titled Cracked Up, van der Kolk says that trauma is the experience of when, quote, your reality is not allowed to be seen and known, end quote. The need for healing is a bit more obvious to realize if you've survived a war, but it's a bit less obvious if you've experienced pernicious invalidation that's culturally accepted in parenting, uh, that's that's uh, pernicious in the classroom or at work. Again, there's a difference between mild stress, which still activates your stress response, but it doesn't flood or overwhelm you. It doesn't have the potential to change your brain structures or change the way that you think about yourself or the way that you behave. There's a difference between that kind of mild stress and extreme stress, which has the potential to leave lasting effects. Pernicious invalidation has the potential to leave lasting effects just like war or physical violence. Gaslighting has the potential to leave lasting effects. Chronic vicarious stress where you support others experiencing extreme, extreme stress has the potential to leave lasting effects. Living in systems um, under governments or in religious and community organizations or family and home units that do not meet your needs, living in these systems has the potential to leave lasting effects. All of these experiences of legitimate, uh, all of these experiences are legitimate extreme stress and all of them need unwinding and healing so that they don't leave lasting negative effects. They all need connection. Trauma and somatic psychologist Peter Levine famously says in his book, In an Unspoken Voice, How the Body Releases Trauma and Restores Goodness. He says, quote, trauma is not what happens to us, but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. What creates an extreme stress disorder? Um, so that's the lasting negative effects that extreme stress can have when it changes um, brain and body, when it changes thoughts, and when it changes beliefs about self-worth and self-value and about safety, and when it changes behavior. The changes, um, the disorder only comes about, the disorder only comes about when an, when an empathetic witness isn't or hasn't been present. When there isn't or hasn't been the kind of connection that allows for unwinding and healing. Having someone around who can compassionately validate, empathize, and help make sense of your pain, what happened, and affirm your worth and your value is the thing that makes the difference. Doing this with a, a safe person can usually unwind the very reasonable and very appropriate automatic self-protective stress responses within you so that you can reestablish a sense of safety and reestablish your connection with the wise inner knowing that you are just as valuable as every other human being on this earth. If you want to know more about um, that 
inner sense of that sense of inner value, you can check out check out episode 12. What is self worth? Um, child and trauma psychiatric researcher Dan Siegel has found that one person's brain and body and nervous system can actually influence and change the brain, body and nervous system of another person. This kind of interpersonal neurobiology is the most critical part of unwinding from or healing from any kind of extreme stress, whether it's big T or little t trauma. Connection with another regulated, safe human who has the capacity to witness and validate your pain, has the capacity to be friendly, compassionate, and empathetic to your experience and affirm your value and goodness, this can make a world of difference. And reading information that feels validating, affirming, or helps you understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling can bring about the same kind of regulation of your own body and nervous system. You may find that reading other survivors' personal accounts of of their tough experiences and their healing journey is what resonates best for you. Um, Perhaps reading the accounts of providers who work with folks who are healing um, from tough experiences uh, is actually what feels best to you. Perhaps learning about the science or the body processes, uh, this is what I would call the hard data, learning the hard data is what feels most soothing to your nervous system. Um, I myself am in the last category. Uh, Well, I suppose I would put myself in all three categories, if I'm being honest. Um, but there's there's something about having hard data and understanding how it all works that's really soothing to my brain. So reading can create a sense of connection, a sense that what you've experienced or what your pain is like is completely valid and that there are others who also know what it's like, who've experienced what you've experienced. And this kind of connection can be so, so regulating to your nervous system. Sometimes it can be scary to make a connection with something inside of yourself if you're not sure that it's okay or if it feels unbearable. Um, you know, if you're worried that there's something wrong with you or, or, uh, or that you're broken or that you might get swallowed up by it if you go near that part within you or acknowledge that it's there, um, it can be so scary. That's how I used to feel afraid that I might get swallowed up by it and not be able to stop an overwhelming panicked feeling um, if I turned towards it. But reading and learning about and hearing others name this thing that I felt, it was so relieving to me. It was so relieving to learn that I wasn't crazy. Then in fact, I had normal responses to extreme circumstances. Reading can be a powerful form of connection, even though it's just one-way communication, because what you read can be so, so affirming. I remember the first time that I read The Body Keeps the Score. Ooh, it blew my mind. I'd been hearing about it for years, Um, but you know how it is. Like the reading list is long and it can take a while for the right timing to come around where you actually pick it up and start. So once I finally got around to reading it, so much began to make sense. 
I understood why certain responses um, get stuck and repeat themselves and how really tough experiences can, can actually change brain structures and chemical and biological processes in the body. And then I read Stephen Porges's and Deb Dana's books about the polyvagal theory, and it was hearing Stephen Porges gently and calmly describe how adaptive it is to have automatic self-protective body responses, how smart it is to have fight responses, how smart it is to have avoidance responses, and how smart it is to dissociate or shut down when a situation is unsafe. That new perspective from the polyvagal theory, it really allowed me to begin to come closer, to simply begin to connect with the parts of my embodied response that had become habituated within me. This new lens allowed me to be compassionate towards trends that had always been um, problematized within me and allowed me to understand that I wasn't failing um, as a human being or failing at changing myself failing at healing and transforming my life into the experience of joy and happiness and connection that I was working so hard at. Reading about the polyvagal theory completely overhauled what I thought was wrong with me, instead turning it into a set of wise and adept skills. I felt so validated. And And then I was finally able to go down into those embodied responses and experiences because they weren't wrong anymore. They weren't things that were bad or wrong or shouldn't be there or desperately needed to be changed. They were things that were right about me. Reading about the polyvagal theory shifted the blame off of me and instead put it onto my environment. It shifted the judgment off of me as a shameful, terrible person um, to me as a survivor of situations and treatment that were unjust, unbearable, and harmful. I then rapidly consumed all of the books that I could find about complex trauma. I read books about yoga and trauma, about the neuroscience of trauma, about trauma and healing, um, about all the healing stories that I could that I could get my hands on. I watched all the documentaries and listened to all the podcasts and attended all the conferences that I could afford. It felt so, so good to be affirmed. So much began to make sense. And I felt affirmed enough to begin to gently and safely touch into my own embodied pain that I was able to begin befriending my body sensations because I finally understood that it was okay that my body responded in such ways. And that's also when I began to pursue further training in trauma-informed and then nervous-informed approaches. That's when I retired from acupuncture, herbal medicine, and massage therapy, and I started the It Begins to Move studio. Reading or hearing others share about what they've experienced may make it possible to gently begin to touch into your own experience, to get to know it a bit more, but only if it feels safe enough. Sometimes other folks who share their experiences or providers who explain why these feelings come about, um, they share some ways that they've approached healing or ways that their clients have approached healing that you hadn't yet thought of. Hearing about those approaches can create pathways that you could experiment with too that you may not have known about. 
So if reading about the smart nature of your body-based reactions to tough situations um, as a way to become validated in the way that your own body responds is of interest to you, you might want to download my favorite books for healing. You can get that book list at, on my website, itbeginstomove.com. That's all lowercase and uh, it's the word two, T-O, not the number two, itbeginstomove.com. You might also be interested in the free upcoming special event, Experiencing My Self-Worth. If you're interested in learning more about that, you can find that on my website too. I really hope to see you there. And if you find this podcast helpful, please rate it on your listening platform to increase the chance that others can find it too. If there's any question or topic that you'd like to hear me address, leave it in a comment or leave it in a review. Take care, kind soul.